are listening to the Jesco Bike Podcast. I'm your host, TJ Jeskowitz, and Mark Wyatt is off for the week. Well, this is the podcast where we, or I, talk about things that are really fun in the cycling world. And there's going to be tales from the Ragbri Nation, tales about, oh, just, just everything that has to do with the fun side of cycling. So come for the bikes, stay for the fun, leave with a smile. That's our motto. And uh, around here, we're smiling all the time. But, um, you know, sometimes there's some, some things out, out there in the state of Iowa that it's not putting some smiles on people's faces. It's been raining for several weeks, hard to get out and bike, hard to get to your feels, lots of feels that are underwater. Um, so we feel for you, those people that are out there, make their livelihood and keep us going with, with food and, and energy and all that good stuff that comes out of those fields. Uh, we're thinking about you, and and hopefully you're going to get back in your fields in the very near future and tend to those crops. And, um, you know, obviously, you know, bike riding's not, not much uh, fun when some of the trails are underwater or, you know, definitely some of the off-road stuff is, is underwater. So, you know, be patient. Let those things dry out before, you know, we don't want to be ruining some of those off-road trails uh, because there are some muddy, muddy messes over there. So, Appreciate that. Um, so Mark's off this week. He is over at the Iowa Trail Summit, I believe, and talking some good stuff. Uh, we've been busy, though. We've been trying to figure out the Ragbri route for 2019. And occasionally we might be out and about just kind of looking at a town or or taking a look at some roads. Uh, we typically got some some Groucho glasses and, and noses on, so, so you would not understand that it was either scott garner or myself looking at some potential routes so um so if you thought you saw us you did not see us in your town checking out any kind of any kind of routes um so this is the time though the late fall we typically hear from oh uh hundreds of different towns that are doing their their pitches for their community just saying hey think about our town we get lots of notes um get some really nice emails from from people that are riders in those communities that say you know what our town would do a super job and we, we can't wait to host again and so we do appreciate all those we would love to be able to go to 30 40 towns each and every year in reality we could pick eight overnight towns so we're, we're going to try to you know mix it up a little bit and you know pick pick some towns we haven't been to a while or maybe even a new one who knows um, but once we get that down, it's going to be a fun, exciting, and safe route. Those are the most important things. So, so I'm not going to talk a whole lot today. We got to get back to some route planning so we can figure this thing out by January. I know Murph has an interview with with the Butterfly folks. I know Tina uh, came in and talked to Murph about just different things. I mean, obviously, we see the Butterfly folks out on Ragbri with their with their seed balls and throwing them out there to to help uh, populate or repopulate the the monarch butterflies throughout our state. So lots of cool things that are going on. Um, we we've been seeing that for many years and and I know they're they're making a difference out there. Um, it's great to see the butterflies coming back. So okay, let's get to the show.
Well, hey there, Just Go Bike podcast listeners, aka Murph here. And today I'm chatting with Tina Elwood Gerke, who is a volunteer at Lynn County Pheasants Forever. Hey, Tina. Hey, Kathy. Thanks for having me. You bet. So Tina reached out to us to talk about her interest in spreading milkweed seeds along bike trails with the hope that it increases bird, insect, and butterfly habitat, which is a really cool idea and something that um, I've been um, casually part of the last couple of years when we do RAGBRAI, but we can talk about that later. So let's hear what Tina has to say. So, Tina, why don't you start out, um, you know, how did you get involved with Lynn County Pheasants Forever? Well, I, for Lynn County Pheasants Forever in Iowa, I'm an education and outreach chair. So, um, I'm a hunter, but also an avid outdoors person, and I enjoy uh, pollinators, uh, bees, and insects, and I enjoy butterflies. Mm -hmm. So, I'm, I'm also involved with Pheasants Forever from that aspect. Awesome. And on a side note, I was walking my dog yesterday and I came upon, I don't know what kind of flower it was, but it had little teeny yellow uh, blooms and there were probably a dozen um, monarchs on that, you know, getting in there and getting the pollen out of. It's really cool to see. Oh, cool. They are migrating right now. Yeah, yeah. Well, give us a little history on milkweed and how that plant helps habitat. Well, historically in Iowa, Iowa was mostly prairie land, and prairies in Iowa, they they were here. They had rich black soil, which is um, very, pro it helps us produce uh, rich crops. Mm -hmm. And historically, well, that was also the prairie's downfall because it was so good for um, the rich soil. We farmed a lot, and unfortunately, we have only a tenth of the original prairie left. Oh, really? And the rest of the dark soil we was uh, destroyed by cities and roads and agriculture. So milkweed was part of that original ecosystem that existed in, in Iowa before it was habited. And milkweed is essential for um, monarch butterflies life cycle because mm -hmm. the larvae from the monarch butterfly only eats milkweed. Wow, that's um, that's pretty scary to know that that's just they've got only a, a handful of plants to find, eat, and then you know become a butterfly. So obviously, yeah, it's been changing over the last couple of years, and the habitat has increased, and it's through education and um, the knowledge sharing with monarch organizations and groups like Pheasants Forever. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. um, I was on a bike ride on the High Trestle Trail. I think it was maybe two years ago and I was have I was with a couple other gals and we were having the conversation about milkweed plants and I just confessed I don't even know what a milk plate milkweed plant looks like and I was with my friend Dana so a shout out to Dana who knows all about um, wild plants and flowers and such and within probably a quarter of a mile she was able to point out a milkweed plant so we stopped and we looked at it and then it was crazy how many of those plants existed that I just didn't know what they look like, so uh, I passed right by them. Yeah, now that you know what they look like, um, and most likely what you saw was probably a common milkweed. And in Iowa or the Midwest, we've got about 17 different variations of milkweed plants. Okay. So give us an idea, uh, maybe for listeners who don't know, like I was once, um, what, does milkweed, what does the milkweed plant look like? 
a milkweed plant looks like it has green leaves about uh, uh, the size of the palm of your hand. And those leaves are, are very rounded. There aren't many edges on a milkweed plant. Um, early as the milkweed is growing, um, it doesn't have pods yet. And it will have a common milkweed flower um, will have white flowers. Mm-hmm. There's also uh, milkweed plants that also have orange, some that are blue, because there's the, of the 17 variations, there's swamp milkweed, butterfly milkweed, sand milkweed, more lead milk milkweed and the most common is that that um, common milkweed and they can grow in height from two feet up to five feet wow and those large rounded leaves follow that that uh, stem all the way up to the top and then they'll also produce those flowers actually turn into seed pods mm-hmm. and those um, seed pods are shaped similar to an oval with pointed ends. And those seed pods uh, in the fall will dry and open up and um, produce almost like a, a, a large dandelion-type mm-hmm. um, element. And then they'll, they'll blow, and those seeds will, will go into the environment. Okay. So this is a question I did have to look on Google, and um, hopefully your answer is similar. But So milkweeds are not everywhere, but how the heck do the monarch butterflies who are ready to lay eggs find the milkweed so that the caterpillars can eat the milkweed leaves? Isn't it amazing? It, <laughs> yes. it, it's nature. Yeah. It, it is, it's an amazing feat of nature. And there's, there's four different generations um, annually in our area in the Midwest that produce um, butterflies. So you have uh, the larvae to the butterfly, four different generations of those every year. Before those, the fourth generation is the one that actually travels all the way to Mexico. Wow. And so think of that knowledge, that innate um, information that's programmed into all of these monarchs to have the ability to fly, some fly up to 3,000 miles from Canada all the way down to one specific location in Mexico. Wow. That's mind blowing, and and mon- monarchs specifically don't have anything to do with the milkweed plant except to lay eggs, right? Well, yes and no. So, okay. So yes, to, to lay eggs, but the the green color that gives the the larvae the the color when it turns into a green and yellow, black, and white caterpillar, mm-hmm. the green color that it turns after it, it, it goes from the larvae stage into caterpillar, that green color only comes from eating the, the milkweed leaves. Oh, okay. So that's the de- dependency there. Okay. So you kind of alluded to this when we first started talking, but um, why doesn't milkweed grow naturally you know, like, why is it why is it an urgency to uh, spread the seeds? Well, it it grows naturally, but only if the seeds are in the area that where they can be spread. Mm-hmm. So, most commonly, um, the common milkweed is seen in, in road ditches and other areas. But in order for us to make sure, uh, some of those areas are mowed, and mm-hmm. um, some of the areas may be um, may be sprayed. So, it's important to make sure that that. I guess that habitat where those seeds are, are germinating are in places that 
they can go through that life cycle of, of growing and producing the seed to be able to, to grow for the following year. Okay, okay. So uh, looking back on the last couple of years of RAGBRAI, um, I don't know if it was the same vendor, but there was a booth almost daily um, where there were people that were making and passing out. Um, they were like seed pods. Basically, there were little balls of dirt that had milkweed seeds inside. And one of the vendors even offered us like a, like a little burlap sack. So every day I could go fill up my little burlap sack while I'm pedaling along the route, the intention was for me to throw those seed pods or seed balls out um, with hopes that, you know, some of them will grow into milkweed plants. Um, it was really a cool, I, I loved that uh, that even existed. And I think that they're a vendor now every year. Um, but what's the process of making those seed pods or seed balls? Well, hats off to that vendor. That is awesome. Yeah. There's a couple of, of Habitat organizations, monarch habitat organizations that do a fantastic job with, with that type of outreach. Um, the, the process is, is actually pretty simple. It's, it's a clay base or um, mud that has some clay that exists in it. And um, it would involve putting seeds within in that clay ball. And the balls don't have to be very big. Um, sometimes when people are making those those balls, we tend to make them the size of our thumb or bigger. Mm-hmm. But really, the balls don't need to be any bigger than um, the size of your pinky mm-hmm. nail. Um, then another recommendation is, um, as far as the time to plant those seeds, um, the time to plant those seeds is either early in the spring or those, those pollinator balls. Distribute those um, in the early spring or in in the late fall, early winter, prior to, um, right after the, the latest freeze, because mm-hmm. we don't want those to start growing and not be able to go through the life cycle of, uh, of that milkweed plant. We sure. want to make sure that it, they can germinate and be able to produce those seed pods, mm-hmm. because each seed pod can produce um, up to 50 to 150 different plants as long as they spread out at the right time. Okay, okay. Um, and I was able, lucky enough, we did a bike ride out to the Indian Creek Nature Center in Lynn County, and they were making them while we were there. So I got to jump in, and you were right. Um, each person that was making them, they were all making them different sizes, and I think they were just based on, you know, their personal preference. But um, when you're actually throwing them while you're on a bicycle, it, smaller is definitely better because then you can, you know, spread them out a little bit. So it's it was a really... Uh, a cool thing to make them, but also to be able to throw them. And, you know, like you said, a lot of those plants may not survive, uh, you know, because we're throwing them at the end of July, but a few of them is better than none, I guess you'd say. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So one point of criticism that I heard, and you may or may not have ever heard this, but um, I've heard that some farmers don't always approve of trail users throwing those seed pods or seed balls for fear that the seeds will go into their fields. Is there any truth to that, or have you ever heard that before? Well, I haven't personally heard that, um, but perhaps if if that has been a concern that's ever been raised, is maybe they don't know the origin of the type of seeds that are in the seed pods. Mm. Maybe they're afraid it may be distributing um, weeds mm-hmm. or obnoxious type um, weeds that they don't need in their fields. Another thing is or for mowing purposes. 
um, along some of the, the right-of-ways, farmers or counties or, or the state will be mowing. Mm-hmm. And in those areas where a milkweed plant can't go through its life cycle and produce seed, um, there wouldn't be a sense to, to or a reason for us to plant those sure. pollinator balls in areas like that. Sure, that's very true. So if you're going to an area that looks like it's been mowed recently, that's not a smart area to <laughs> throw your, your seeds, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Well, what are what would you say are some ways that cyclists can get involved in you know spreading of milkweed seeds and increasing the habitat for insects and birds and butterflies? Awesome idea. Yeah, I I think that you mentioned two things already. Mm-hmm. Um, local organizations such as the Indian Creek Nature Center in Lynn County, um, the Rag Bry uh, Monarch Pollinator Ball Making. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also, uh, if people listen to this podcast before October 10th, 2018, we have a pollinator ball making class in Ely, Iowa, mm-hmm. right along the bike trail at the library. Um, another way that you can get involved is to uh, understand how to make seed balls, and you can do that yourself, or mm-hmm. there's seed exchanges. Uh, through. There's an organization that has a Facebook page uh, for Eastern Iowa, and it's a Monarch of Eastern Iowa Facebook page, and okay. they have seed sharing. So organizations like that um, would have the ability to provide seed to riders as well, as well as Lynn County Pheasants Forever. We're more than happy to help educate and um, provide pollinator ball-making classes. Excellent. So all kinds of resources. And I'm assuming if Lynn County has a Pheasants Forever, that other counties within Iowa or across the United States, they exist as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, there is a national Lynn, uh, National Pheasants Forever website, and you have the ability to search for Pheasants Forever organizations by your zip code or by the city that you live. Okay. Excellent. Well, how about you? Do you ride a bicycle? Absolutely. Yay. I've got two different bikes. I've got a, a mountain bike, and it's a Cannondale. And my other bike is a, a road bike, and it's a Zabrinkin Co. Mm. And it's an older bike, and I've had it since 1989, but it's it's old Bessie is what I call her, and she's awesome. <laughs> and, and it serves the purpose, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Well, uh, how would you describe your riding style? Like, are you, um, I know that you have a, a fairly young family. I don't know if you do more family riding or if you're out gravel racing or what, what's your style of riding? My style of riding, we ride a lot of trails mm-hmm. in the Lane County area, but we also rent bikes to go trail riding. We've, we've trail rode in Colorado and Arizona and we've also uh, rented bikes in Florida and done sand biking. Oh, sand biking? Yeah. That sounds like That's a workout. workout. That sounds like a big yeah. workout. <laughs> I always think of, um, you know, when you see fat bikes in uh, Iowa, like in the wintertime on snow or um, mud, I always think of, you know, you think about somebody in Florida would probably never think about running a fat tire bike through um, the same terrain we do in Iowa. They're probably looking at it more as a sand bike. Exactly. And riding on those different trains is uh, very eye-opening. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, Well, final question, which we ask every single listener, how about your favorite pie? Definitely lemon meringue. Lemon meringue. meringue. Ooh, I don't think I've ever heard anybody say lemon. 
It's the best. <laughs> well, um, <laughs> one more time, can you uh, tell us a little bit about like what time of year is the best time to throw those pods or plant the seeds? Did you say late spring and then early fall after a frost? Yeah, you can do it too early in the summer. Mm-hmm. Um, the The plants need about three months to be able to uh, have the ability to go through its life cycle and dry and, and be able to have those seeds go out and germinate. Sounds good. All right. Well, Tina, thank you so much for being on the podcast. And I, I found your topic super interesting. I hope our listeners did as well. Awesome. Thank you. And thank you, bikers. We appreciate everything you do for Habitat. Excellent. Excellent. Well, listeners, if you have an idea for a future podcast, please email us at justgobikepodcast at gmail.com. And I'll leave you with a quote from the unwritten book of morphology. This quote comes from R. Buckminster Fuller, and it's butterfly related. Uh, There is nothing in a caterpillar that tells you it's going to be a butterfly. Think about it. Well, we've come to the end of another edition of the Jisco Bike Podcast. Hey, we got 87 editions down. 87. Holy smokes. Only 13 to go to hit that magic 100, which is, which if you asked me back then if we'd get 100 under the belt, I would say heck no. But now that that's going to happen before we announce this route. So. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna have a fun event for the hundredth. Still working on some details. We might actually have a uh, new event for next year as well. Stay tuned for that. Uh, lots of exciting things that'll that'll be announced in in January, right around the rat announcement time. So so stay tuned to this podcast if you if you got any ideas. Hey, let us know about it, and we appreciate it if you're subscribing. SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, iTunes, however you do it. And um, this podcast could not be possible without some some great folks out there. And I'm going to mix it up this this week. Uh, Bikes to You over in Grinnell, great bike shop. Craig and April Cooper have been been running that shop for many, many years uh, right in downtown Grinnell. They're also a rag by charter. Primal. We are working with Primal right now to make sure that we have a great design for you uh, for the Ragbride jersey. But if you want a jersey for your club or team, they make some fantastic jerseys. Men's, women's, all kinds of sleeveless, you name it. They make some great shorts, jerseys, and, and other cycling apparel. So Primal wear. And last but not least, think Iowa City and the Iowa City Coralville Convention and Visitors Bureau. They just won an Emmy the other day for one of their projects. Uh, real proud of that that work. And they also picked up some hardware at the International Festivals and Events Association um, over in San Diego where they were, I, I think the event was Crandic, which is the marathon in between Cedar Rapids and Iowa City, came away as one of the top uh, new marathons in, in the country. So. Hey, congrats to you, uh, Josh Schomburger and his his team do a do a fantastic job. Got to visit with Josh just the other day. Um, always good to see him and and the folks that work there. So congratulations to you. Okay, well, like I said, the one day this rain is going to end. The fields are going to dry up. Trails are going to dry up. 
uh, the off-road tracks are going to dry up. The road cycling is going to be covered with leaves and then eventually snow. So, um, you know, if it's safe to do so, get out there and ride. Uh, but if the trails are closed or anything like that, please, please pay attention to those things. We want everyone to be safe. There's always the next day to enjoy your ride. So, hey, when you have the chance, get out there and go bike. Thanks again for listening. Let us know what you think of the show by leaving a rating and a review. They really help us out a lot and help others find the show. For more information, check out justgobike.net. The show's theme song was written, produced, and performed by Ryan Steer.